But I'd like to take you forward a little bit to early summer. Uh, It's a warm day, but there's a gentle breeze, and you're walking through kind of green, undulating hills. And you reach the top of a hill, and as you look over the other side, the sight is breathtaking. There in the middle of the valley is a beautiful, stately home. Imagine something like Downton Abbey, but better. There's wings, there's turrets, there's gardens. Um, It looks incredible. And as the sun reflects off the stonework, it's resplendent. So you're drawn in and you start to move towards it. As you get closer, you seem to see there's quite a lot of people there. It looks a bit odd. As you get closer still, you see there are people chasing each other. There's people fighting. There's someone kicking in a door. There's people graffitiing all over the walls. And you're like, what's going on? This is chaos. You're wrecking the place. You tell someone to stop. And they ignore you. So you look around to see if there's anyone that can help. And and over on the side, you see a small group of very earnest-looking people. And one of them saying, well, of course, I think this building's a modular design. I think um, uh, this building was made very, very quickly. Another one says, no, 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 look at the carving, look at the brickwork. This building took ages to make. Another one says, no, 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 this building is very modern. It's just made to look old. Another one says, no, 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 look, just look at the way the building's been weathered. This building is ancient. And as these people argue and shout at each other in their little huddle, another window smashes and the crackle of spreading fire gets louder and louder. Now, today, we're looking at Genesis chapter 1, which is a most incredible passage of Scripture which can shape our lives, and shape our thinking. But so often we're a bit like this little huddle of people where we get caught up on issues that maybe generate more heat than light and actually mean that we miss the most important things. And Steve, today already, you've done a great job of just outlining some of the different challenges that face us as a church, uh, as a nation, as well as on the international side of things. And I really believe that the more we get into this passage, it won't just help us get through 2023, um, but will enable us to, to really thrive and advance. And it's my prayer today, as we look at this account of beginnings, that it will shape our lives to be the sort of people that make a difference in God's world. So there's actually way too much to cover in this chapter. Um, So I'm going to have to sort of leave uh, certain things out. But um, I'm going to be looking at kind of five big points from this passage. Okay, And then from that, we'll be thinking about how that then affects our life. So um, first of all then, okay, the first big point from this passage... uh, And is this going to work for us? There we go. Is first of all, it's personal. This passage is all about the who of creation. And it clearly shows the world is not an accident. It's not just the result of impersonal forces. God is the sole creator of the universe, and everything owes its existence to God's will. Well, to get into this a bit more, we need to see how this passage kind of fits into the whole book of Genesis, um, the first book in the Bible. And um, the book of Genesis is actually split up into ten different sections. Each one starts with the phrase, this is the story of. And you can kind of see it um, on the screen there. But what's interesting is the passage that we're looking at today just stands kind of outside of this. And what it does is it sets the scene for what's to follow in the rest of the Bible. And this passage is incredibly structured. 
to highlight again and again that this is all God's work. So let's have a little bit of a, a walk through on this. So it starts off, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. The heavens and the earth, that's done a, a biblical way of saying everything. But what's interesting on this, the passage doesn't start okay, trying to prove God's existence. It just assumes it. It's a bit like going to a play, uh, and you, you're sitting there, the curtain goes up, and there's nothing there. And then the author of the play comes on to the stage and introduces the play before it actually starts. It's a little bit like that. And so what we've got here, okay, is in the beginning God. This passage is all about the who of creation. And just as a little side point, we can spend a lot of time and effort trying to convince people uh, of God's existence. But maybe what will be more effective and compelling is just uh, lives where God's presence is that lived out reality. So, first of all, then, it's all about God. Secondly, on this, God forms and fills. Now, the second verse in the Bible, okay, is this, where it says, the earth was formless and empty. And this is where we actually see, in many ways, the structure for the whole rest of the chapter. Because God's creative act involves forming what was formless and then filling what was empty. So formless and empty, but God forms what was formless, and God fills what was empty. And in terms of this chapter, it kind of talks about a series of days. And if we can see on this, okay, in terms of the broad stroke of things, day one to three is where God forms what was formless, and then days four to six, God kind of fills what was empty. And so there's a a kind of a correspondence between what God forms in day one and fills in day four, what God forms in day two and fills in day five, and and so on. And there's an incredible structure to this chapter, which you may well uh, not have noticed before. And many people think this kind of shows maybe more a kind of a logical structure than necessarily a kind of a time-bound structure. But it shows here God's creative activity in giving form and then filling. Now, If, like me, you sometimes feel a bit unformed yourself, a bit empty and ill-fitted for the world around us, it's so encouraging to know that God's creative work is all about giving shape and fullness to his creation, and that includes us. So, point two, God forms and fills. And point three, it's personal. This passage is all about the who of creation. It's a con, you're saying. It's the same as point one. Exactly. I'm trying to really sort of make the points um, on this. Um, And in the rest of the chapter, we've got these series of days. And in verse 3 to 5, it kind of shows the pattern and the sequence that tends to get repeated again and again Okay, um, throughout the uh, various days. And if we just look at this here, what this is again is telling us again and again and again and again is it's all about the who of creation. This is all here about God. But what's interesting, it doesn't necessarily give us too much information about exactly how God did it. So I think at this stage, it's probably worth having a little kind of excursion here, just to think a bit about the way, okay, how this kind of all links in uh, to the whole idea of science. And science is very good at actually answering how-type questions. How do clouds form? How does the heart work? 
And we need to just be so thankful for scientists who uh, kind of make these sort of discoveries that benefit our lives. And just at the back there, we've got a stained glass window uh, to a Professor Spencer, a scientist who is obviously associated with this church. But if you're a Christian research scientist, what you're doing day in, day out, is you're looking and studying God's normal way of working. You're studying how God upholds and sustains the world. And the order and faithfulness of God's creation actually makes science possible. So if you're a Christian research scientist and you find something that you can't explain in your lab, it doesn't mean you've found God. It actually means you've found God's call to be a better scientist. Um, so if you can uh, see the little cartoon here, I don't know if you can uh, uh, see that. Someone's got a whole load of mathematical equations. In the middle it says that a miracle occurs. And the person is saying, I think it should be a bit more explicit here in, in step two. Um, but what it's saying here, okay, is the order and faithfulness of God's creation makes science possible. But there's a whole load of questions that science can't really answer. Questions like, what's the point of life? Do I have any significance? And these are more kind of why-type questions. And answer to this, answers to these questions lie more in the areas of maybe people's own personal philosophy or, or religion. But these are things that science can't really uh, talk about and speak into. So, um, as a result, what you actually find is science and religion, by asking very different questions, can often use very different language to describe the same thing. So, for example, okay, if someone comes in and says, oh, why is the kettle boiling? Uh, you could say, um, well, there's electrical energies being transferred to the thermal energy store of the liquid, increasing its internal temperature until its vapor pressure is uh, equal to the surrounding atmosphere. If you talk like that, you normally end up with not too many friends, okay? Because what you're, what's being described there is the actual mechanism. But actually, if someone says, why is a kettle on? It's because I'm making you a cup of tea, okay? There you can see the kind of the bigger sense of meaning. And so um, science can give us lots of kind of true information, um, but it can't really answer those questions of ultimate meaning in terms of whether there's meaning in life and am I uh, significant. And many scientists... Uh, actually find that what they study in the lab and what they study in the Bible, even though it might use different types of language, um, actually complement each other. But the passage we're looking at today is all about the who of creation, which helps us to understand those big why questions of life, rather than just giving us a, a scientific description of exactly how uh, God has done it. And the whole point, really, of the Genesis account here is that people from any age can understand that God's there and life has a purpose. If God had given us, had given us an account which answered all our intellectual questions for today, that would be unintelligible for a lot of people through the ages. So if this passage then shows the kind of pattern and order to God's creation, it also shows just the extravagant diversity and size of God's creation. And so here, this is showing God as the great artist, where there's creativity and diversity in abundance. And we need to take time just to sort of sit back and reflect on God's handiwork. Um, six times in the passage it says it was good. And this is all to do with kind of quality and fitness for purpose. So just very quickly, let's just think about some of this here. Something like an oak tree. Okay, you'll find there's over 2,000 different species are associated with just the oak tree, whether it's shelter or food. Again, in terms of animals here, a giraffe, its tongue's nearly half a meter long. It can use it to clean its ears. Um, we've got some ants there. About 30% of 
of the animal biomass in the rainforest is just ants. How incredible is that? We've got zebras. No two zebras have exactly the same pattern on them. We've got a little archer fish there which shoots a jet of water up to, to get its prey from out of the water so it knocks it off its branch so it can eat it. Incredible diversity, again, in terms of habitats. Here, this just shows uh, rainforest and the sheer numbers of different species of plants that are there. A coral reef. Uh, in the Hawaiian coral reefs, they found there's over 7,000 different species just reliant there on the coral reef. And if we just look at this as just nature, it's very easy to just exploit it, or the flip side, to worship it. Um, but if we see it as God's handiwork, uh, there's a very clear mandate there to care for it responsibly. So that's just a bit about the diversity of God's creation, but what about the size? Now, if you go out and have a look at the night sky, you might be able to see, depending on conditions, anywhere between two and about four and a half thousand stars. Um, the nearest star to us um, is about four light years away. And you might think, what's that exactly? Well, a light year is the, uh, is the distance that light travels in one year. Okay, well, how fast can light travel in one second? Well, if we look at this, okay, light can travel all the way around the world over seven times in just one second. That's how quick light can travel. So if you can imagine that distance in one second, imagine the distance for one year that light could travel, imagine that distance for four years, and that's our nearest star outside of our solar system. Again, if you actually move away, oh, there we go, okay, so uh, yeah, you can kind of see uh, a bit where our Earth is there, because if you then uh, stand outside um, where you're away from the bright lights, okay, you'll actually find in the middle of the sky, you might actually see, uh, hang on, let's just go back a bit, hang on, okay, so I'm missing a slide there, doesn't matter, but you might well find the Milky Way, which is this kind of milky bit through the sky, which is our own local galaxy. And scientists think in our own galaxy, there's 100 billion stars just like our sun. That's 12 times the number of people on planet Earth. This is like crazy numbers. And scientists think it takes about 100,000 years for light to travel from one side to the other. And if you go further away, you'll just find there's galaxy upon galaxy upon galaxy. The sizes are incredible. But in verse 17 of our passage, a little throwaway line, it says... God made the stars also. He also made the stars. I mean, what a throwaway line. And in Psalm 147, it says this, he counts the stars and calls them all by name. And just since I was kind of uh, been asked to, to do this talk, I've just been making a little list of those moments where you just say, wow, isn't God's creation amazing? So this is a personal list of just things to me. But uh, got here, um, the smell of freshly washed basil. That's good, isn't it? Um, the next one we've got here, um, Brussels sprouts with crushed hazelnuts and zest of orange. Um, so uh, that, was a, that was a Christmas special. Um, and we've got little sea monkeys there. Uh, my daughter, Eliana, she's got a little pot of these in her room growing. And just the way that their limbs are and the way they move is just exquisite. Um, falling asleep in a warm bed when you can hear the wind raging outside. Um, the hushed silence of a snowy landscape. And then just last night, I looked out of our front uh, house and down the road towards the co-op, and above it there, okay, was um, this constellation Orion, and the belt of Orion there, three little stars I could really clearly see last night, and each one of those over a thousand light years away. And so these are just personal moments where it's like, wow, 
Isn't God's creation amazing? And that's my own personal list, but make your own list, okay? You know, just kind of, uh, just think, what is it, okay, that every now and then you just say, wow, um, isn't God's creation uh, amazing? And someone has said that creation is the theater of God's glory. And so it should lead to gratitude, and it should lead to worship. And maybe one of the most difficult things for an atheist um, is just not actually having anyone to thank when you have those wow-type moments. So... Uh, with this, we can see okay, that this incredible diversity and abundance um, in God's creation. Now, there's so much more okay, um, that we could say um, on this, uh, but I think what I'm going to uh, just uh, say on this, that all of these things just combine together to show it's all about God and there is no other creator. Well, just kind of coming into think a bit about how does this then affect us? If God is so big, powerful, creative, with no rivals, yet is personal and knows us, what does this mean for us today? I'm going to try and apply this to different situations, to some of those challenges that we may be facing um, this year. Um, And if God's creative work forms and then fills, if we're here today with our hearts battered and beaten around, then we can be sure that God is able to tenderly mend it and put it back together. I've talked here about Psalm 147, about God naming the stars. Um, But the verse before it says this, he heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. And isn't that amazing? The God who calls the stars out, okay, is passionate about the intricacies of our own heart and putting our lives back together. If God upholds and sustains the universe, he's entirely free to, extract, to um, act in extraordinary ways. So we can be confident that God's able to act and answer prayer. Now, I'm preaching to myself here, okay, but if God had answered all my prayers from the last week, would the world actually look that different? Is a lot of my praying actually just about myself on my own little bubble? So are my prayers big enough and bold enough for the God of the Bible who can do all things. Again, if God has made the earth fruitful and abundant, then God can do those things through our lives. And God wants to work through us uh, for the remainder of our lives, whether we're one or 101. Okay, God okay, is a creative God who wants to do things through us. And if God has made the world and knows how best we should live, then we need to follow the maker's instructions even if society is moving in other directions. And if the church gets increasingly marginalized, God can fill what he forms, and he can give the church a renewed and fresh spiritual power. God has no rivals. And I hope today you've seen this is an incredible passage of Scripture, and it's incredible because God is so amazing. But this is just chapter 1 of the Bible, and the story doesn't finish there. Because the world, despite its brilliance, isn't exactly today how God intended. Because we prefer to just go our own way rather than our creators, sin has entered the the world along with suffering, grief, and tragedy. And the Bible kind of centers on that time when the author of creation enters the stage himself to put things right. And it was Jesus through whom all things were made that came to earth, suffered, and died on the cross for our wrong to restore our relationship with him and to put things back together. So today, if you don't know Jesus, 
Come back to him. He made you. He knows you and wants you to join the biggest story possible. And although this side of eternity, we won't be completely free of suffering, in Jesus we have someone who's walked before us, walks beside us, and gives us his spirit to live within us.